It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. Well, today Pastor Rick is in part two of his Life with a Capital L series, and today he's in Ephesians chapter one in a sermon he's entitled, Three Life-Giving Words. Here's Rick. The online company eBay was founded back in 1995. And since that time, they estimate that it has sold over 3 billion items. Now, some of those items um, are, that, were, that have been for sale, some of them are quite odd. Some of them are unusual. And some of them are incredibly priceless that got onto the world's largest garage sale. Let me give you some examples. Back in 1954, Albert Einstein penned a personal letter to philosopher Eric Gutkind in which he defended his views on ethics, religion, and human nature. That letter was sold on eBay, and it caused quite a media sensation when it sold for $3 million. A piece of rock formed on Mars somehow managed to crash land on Earth. As one can imagine, the odds of that happening are astronomical. Sorry. Um, (laughs) But a fragment of one of those rocks, just a fragment of it, was auctioned on eBay for $450,000. I'm I'm sure that those who held the go-go tailgate wish that was for sale yesterday here. Back in 2002, eBay auctioned the sale of an entire working town that just needed, quote, a little proper development. The town was here in California. It was Bridgeville. came with its own zip code, 95526. Somebody bought it, waited four years, turned around and sold it for $1.2 million. And then someone from North Carolina posted this on eBay. I have discovered the reason for living and will be happy to share this information with the highest bidder. The starting bid was one cent. And the meaning for life when the auction was done went for (laughs) $3.26. Last week we started a journey. A journey to find what Jesus said only a few will ever find. We are after that narrow road that leads to life. Now it's not life with a lowercase l. Everybody's already got that. Well, we're talking about life with a capital L. And the life that Jesus offers, he calls it eternal life. But as we noticed last Sunday from John 10.10, 10, it has this wildly abundant quality to it. And it's this abundant life, which I'm calling life with a capital L, is not something we get later, but it's something we begin to experience even now. And by the way, it's worth more than $3.26, trust me. In fact, it is so incredibly value, God personally came to earth to make sure we knew about it. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we might might be available to us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to experience it, and our enemy Satan will fight us tooth and nail to keep us from getting our hands on it. That's how valuable this is. But... Instead of experiencing life with a capital L, many just play at the game of life. And their lives sadly resemble that board game as they desperately seek 
to gain and hold on to one of three cards that we saw last week. We want so desperately to hold on to one of these three because we are convinced that life is only going to be meaningful and happy to me if I can have the performance card and <clears throat> because it's all going to be based on what I do. Or it's going to be the possessions card. Uh, it's what I can have. That will make my life meaningful and happy. Or it's the popularity card. What others say about me, my reputation is what matters most. That will make my life happy. And by the way, cards like this are part of the wide Road that Jesus describes there in Matthew 7. And most of the people that we see and have contact with every single day of our lives, most of them are headed down that path with cards like this. But what about the narrow road? What about that very faint trail that leads to life with a capital L but is so easy to miss? Well, we saw last week that Jesus came to offer us a life that is both excessive and remarkable, and it's only found in him. It is a gift that will change us from the inside out and deeply satisfy our hearts as it connects us to an intimate relationship with the God who made us through Jesus Christ, his Son. See, God of heaven wants to replace the three cards that we're so tempted to grasp and hold on to. And by the way, these three cards will consistently disappoint us. But in their place, what he wants to do is he wants to give us six cards in our hand that will absolutely delight us. And they're described to us in Ephesians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles open to Ephesians 1, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the chair pocket right in front of you. If you're not very familiar with a Bible, just go to the table of contents. You'll see it's one of the books in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians in chapter 1. But there is a fundamental issue that we need to get settled before we start looking at any one of these six cards. And that is none of us, not one of us, will be willing to discard one of these or several of these cards that we're currently holding on to unless we are absolutely convinced that we will be dealt something better. So this morning, let's, let's affirm what the scriptures tell us is true. Ephesians 1, verse 3, God is for us. What does Paul write and say? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Folks, life with a capital L is grounded here in this truth. Yet so often we are thrown up and down and, and sideways because of the waves of life that we, that we are going through. We are victimized by the manipulations of other people. We ache over our losses. We're frustrated by the inconveniences that life brings our way. And so we wonder, what, what are God's intentions towards me? Well, look at the scriptures. What does it mean to be blessed? It's fascinating. That word blessed means to generously give to. It, it can mean to bestow an abundance on someone. Well, that's interesting. Where have we seen that word abundance? <laughs> it means to favor. It means to provide someone with benefits. So again, look at verse 3. It tells us that the heart of our God wants to bless us. 
He wants to generously give to us his favor and bestow upon us wonderful, wonderful benefits. But you know what the reality is for most of us? Is that we've got this sneaking suspicion in the back of our mind. We're not living under the blessing of God. Rather, we're living under his curse. Why do, we, why do we believe that? Why do some of us this morning struggle with feeling like we are cursed? <laughs> because life has been very painful and deeply wounding. Because of our choices, we've got this inner voice inside of us that keeps reminding us how bad, evil, rotten, worthless, and useless we are. And we have this suspicion that God is up in heaven looking down and he's got a big stick and he's just waiting for another opportunity to want me. Now, let me ask you a question. Where do you think that loud, boisterous voice comes from? Who is behind the painful wounding of your heart? Who might have an agenda that wants us to see God as an angry, vengeful tyrant who can't wait to knock me down to the ground again? Who wants us to feel cursed and not blessed? What did we see last week in John 10.10? We've got an enemy that is bound and determined to do everything he can to steal, to kill, and to destroy our experience of life with a capital L. And my friends, if he can win the battle here of convincing us that we are cursed, and that's God's heart towards us, then we will give up any hope that there are any other cards in life to play but those three. That's all we'll have. So we're going to have to fight. We're going to have to be determined not to give up any ground in this vital foundational area about the heart of our God. Now, I don't know if you post verses around your home, you know, on your mirror in the morning or on the refrigerator somewhere. Can I encourage you to post these two somewhere to review regularly? For example, Psalm 118, verse 6 and verse 7. The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What can your mortals do to me? The Lord is for me. He is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. Or how about Psalm 56 and verse 9? My enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. I'm almost embarrassed to tell you that it wasn't until my mid-50s that that truth finally began to sink into my heart. The heart of our Heavenly Father wants to bless us, to generously give us every benefit that we really need. And my friends, there is no greater blessing, no greater provision that God could bestow on us than to return us to our original trajectory. And our original trajectory is all that God designed Adam and Eve to enjoy in relationship with him. Now look back at verse 3 with me. Where is this blessing found? But what does the text tell us? He has blessed us in Christ. John chapter 6 and verse 40. My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. 1 John 5.11. 
God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. So life with a capital L, this remarkable, overflowing, deeply satisfying gift comes to us as a blessing by what God did for us in Christ. In other words, it is Christ's death, I mean life and his death and his resurrection that is the gateway to that narrow road that we are so looking for. Now what Paul's going to do here in Ephesians 1 in the first part of this verse, or the first part of this chapter, is to describe the blessings that we have in Christ that give us life with a capital L. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there are six cards that God wants us to hold in our hands every single day. Every single day. But before we look at the first one, there's something important um, to appreciate here about this passage. We're going to take six weeks to work our way from verse 4 down to verse 14. But you need to understand, Paul wrote this as one long run-on sentence. And he did it on purpose. So when you look at your English text and you see a period there, that wasn't the way Paul wrote it. That's fine. It helps us kind of think our way through it. But it was just one long run-on sentence. He wants his description of our life in Christ, this life with a capital L, to literally kind of gush out and inundate us with all that it means to be restored to our original trajectory and have life with a capital L. And yet there's a danger. There's a real danger in studying our way through this one long sentence, this little phrase by little phrase. Because if we just take it little tidbits at a time, which we're unfortunately we're going to have to do, the danger is that examine each one of them is like dissecting a frog. You get to see all the internal parts and how they wonderfully connect together, but you guess, guess what you do in the process? You kill the frog. It's like being able to describe how light waves travel from the sun some 93 million miles away and it takes seven minutes from light when it leaves the sun's surface to hit the surface of the earth and it hits our atmosphere at just the right angle and it illuminates the particles in our atmosphere to give us a palette of colors. And by the way, did you know that that light acts like a, a wave but it also acts like a particle and we can know all those scientific facts and we can miss the glory of the sunset. And so the overall tone that Paul is trying to set in verse 4 to verse 14 is as important as the details. He doesn't want to just simply squirt us with a water gun to annoyingly leave us with wet spots on us. Rather, he's taken out the fire hose and he's going to soak us, leaving us drenched and dripping, but hopefully with a goofy grin on our face as we go, wow. That's Paul's intention. So I will do my best. I will do my best to try to preserve the tone as well as unpack the details. You can tell me when we're done if I was successful or not. (laughs) So what's the first card? How does life with a capital L impact the way I live? First, being restored to our original trajectory begins by realizing that God has chosen me. Look at verse 4. So I've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, verse 3, verse 4, even as he chose us in him. 
Folks, do not overlook the power of those three words. I choose you. Or to say it another way, I want you. You know, there's probably not a person in this room who did not experience as a child the picking of teams in gym class. Captains were chosen, and then they alternated in their choice of picking the teams that they want. Garrison Keeler describes the whole process like this. The captains get down to their last grudging choices. It's the slow kid or the one who can't kick or hit or help. So they end up choosing the last ones two at a time, you and you, because it makes no difference. The remaining kids, the the scrubs, the excess, they deal with us as handicaps. Well, if I take him, then you've got to take him, they say. Just once, I'd like to be picked first. To hear it said, him, I want him, the skinny kid with the glasses and the black shoes. You, come on. But I've never been chosen with much enthusiasm. And the damage to our young hearts at that point in our lives can go in one of two directions. If we're typically picked early, then we learn our value is in one of these three cards, and so we grip them tightly for fear that we might drop in the draft. Or, if we're typically picked as one of the last, then it's embarrassing It's a message of shame because a pronouncement has been made over us. You don't measure up. And for most of us, those are years that are long gone. And yet even as adults, there's a deep longing for those three words, I choose you. How do I know that? Because how wounding is it still when the divorce or our singleness is perceived as a clear signal that we weren't or we aren't wanted? That we're still married, but we're living separate lives. And by the quiet choices being made by your spouse, you've been informed that they no longer want you. It's being fired from your job and now desperately struggling to find an employer who will say, I want you. It's not making the team. Not because you weren't good, you just weren't good enough. It's having made a major mistake, which may have deeply hurt those closest to you, and now some have exited out of your life, maybe not physically, but emotionally. And God steps into our stories. God steps into our journeys and shouts an enthusiastic blessing that you may have never heard ever before in your life. And he says, I want you. I choose you. By the way, can you dare to say those three words out loud? The words, he wants me. Can you dare to say it out loud with me? Let's just say it all together. Those three words. He wants me. I can't make you believe it. If it's true, and it is true, then that means I don't have to try and qualify. If I'm chosen, I have nothing to prove. 
I matter immensely to God, and this is the first card of life with a capital L. I've been personally selected. And the implication then by that is I matter. See, chosen means he sees me. Chosen means he notices me, he wants me, he desires to draw close to me and enter into an intimate relationship with him. That means I am not out there on my own. Oh, the incredible power of that word chosen, my friends. Oh, the incredible power of those three words. They're life-giving to us. I choose you. And this is biblical stuff. John chapter 15, verse 16. Jesus says, you did not choose me. I, but I chose you. John 15, 19. I have chosen you out of the world. 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Or Revelation chapter 17 and verse 14. They will wage war against the Lamb. But the Lamb will triumph over them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. And if that good news is not enough, it gets even better as we understand the selection process. So when did God choose us? Well, look at verse 4. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Which means we can go all the way back to Genesis 1-1, right where the story begins, but then we got to turn further back. But we can't, unless you want to go to the table of contents. That doesn't help us. But why do we have to go further back? Because back there is where the plot lines for the story were formed. Back there, even before time began, is where God and his foreknowledge saw the characters in each generation that would be a part of his story. And it was back then that God made his choice. It was back there that he said, I want you, I choose you. Now think carefully about that. Because that means his choice was not based on my merits or my abilities. He did not personally select me because he knew I would turn out okay. He did not choose you because he knew you would be less of an embarrassment than that other person just down the row from you. Okay, then what was the basis for his selection? Good question. There are two verses that give us the inside scoop. The first one is back in the, New, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Turn back there if you would for a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning at verse 6. Moses tells Israel the basis of their selection when he says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. 
But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Okay, now connect this back to Ephesians, if you wouldn't mind. But instead of chapter 1, look at chapter 2. Connect Deuteronomy 7, 6 to 8 with now Ephesians 2, starting at verse 1, where Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, But God, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Notice, His choosing, Deuteronomy 7, Ephesians chapter 2, was done completely out of His love for us. That's why it's so important when we see verses like Colossians chapter 3.12 to understand how it describes us. Paul says, You are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. His choice of us was simply based on His love for us. Which means the choice of God's permanent. And you may be here this morning, and the depth of your shame or guilt is enormous. You were following the Lord, maybe with a great deal of joy, until you made that tragic mistake. And it's not just the repercussions that are painful. You carry a wound in your heart that makes you think, how could he want me after what I've done, what I continue to do, or what I fail to do? Folks, if the Lord chose you without any merit on your part, why would you think the lack of merit now would cancel that choice? See, life with a capital L is all about being dearly loved from God's outrageous and extravagant grace. Now, one last thing about the selection process. We've just identified the when, we've identified the how, so let's talk about the why. Why did he choose me? Why does he want me? Well, look at the end of verse 4, Ephesians 1. So, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, number one, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, here's the why, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Okay, think back for a moment. What did Adam and Eve enjoy before they sinned? Well, they had a clear sense of identity. They had a clear sense of purpose. They, They had an unhindered relationship with the God of heaven who had made them. But once they sinned, once they made that fateful choice, what was like life then like for them then? Well, let's allow Genesis 3 to tell us. Hold your finger here in Ephesians. We'll be back. But turn, if you would, all the way back to the very front end of your Bible to Genesis chapter 3. Starting at verse 6. 
The old story. You know it well. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was also to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And the man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, What was the woman whom you gave me to be with me? She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And she said, what was the serpent? He deceived me and I ate. (laughs) Did you notice that there was immediate guilt and shame? They hid from God and then they tried to pass the blame all around. Their perfect life was shattered. And that's been passed down to us, hasn't it? We, too, live fractured lives. I want what's best for you, but I do what's best for me. I have good intentions, but poor follow-through. I should say no, but I end up saying yes. I look good and smile, but I'm scared to death that someone's going to find out what I'm hiding. I have a list of convictions, but I live by convenience. I want to be forgiven, but I can't forgive others. Something is broken in the connection between my head and my heart. Fractured lives. And as someone has made the observation, so we end up worshiping our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. But in choosing me, God wants to start a healing process that will bring all of these shattered pieces back together in wholeness and holiness. He wants to bring healing to the wounds that are deep there in our hearts. He wants to fill the empty places in our heart with himself. See, God's original design was for us to be holy and blameless before Him, and that's what He says can start being reality and experienced now. Because that's life with a capital L. You see, I've been chosen not because of who I am, but for who I can become. So does all all this sound too incredibly good to be true? (laughs) See, the fact that some of you this morning are struggling to believe this just shows the seriousness of the battle and the fierceness of our enemy because it's your heart that is at stake. So can I encourage you, let this blessing begin to sink in. He wants you. He's chosen you. He's personally selected you. You matter. 
Isaiah chapter 43. But now says the Lord God, fear not, for I've redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I am the Lord your God. You are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you. Let your heart this morning dare to believe that you have a Savior who values you, that you matter to Him, and He wants to draw you close to His heart. How life-giving are those three words. You are chosen. Dare to believe it. Dare to live it. Father, these are incredibly good words this morning. And yet so many of us this morning do struggle to believe it. And again, that just shows how strong the battle is. Because there is nothing more important to you than our hearts. (laughs) Father, you know I have so far to grow in this area myself, and I imagine that so many of us, due to our wounds... due to our backgrounds, have trouble believing your heart is for us and that you have blessed us first because you've chosen us. Father, I pray that the truth of God's word would begin to combat and battle and dismantle the lies and agreements that we have given to Satan. And to allow this blessing, this enthusiastic blessing of yours to settle down deep, to calm our hearts so we don't fear. That we realize that we are blessed, not cursed, and that you are for us. Father, this is a deep, deep work that your Holy Spirit can do as he takes the word of God and runs it down deep into our souls. But this is what we pray. We pray that we would take up this first card. And regardless of what the world thinks of us or thinks of our abilities, that we will know we are chosen by you, personally chosen by you, and we matter. Lord, may that truth ground us all the more in this life with a capital L, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www. Dot ranchobaptistchurch.org That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org 
Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.